Don, tell us a little about yourself and how you got interested in working for vaccine safety and freedom of choice here in America. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, I really didn't know a whole lot about this issue, but I started reading and asking questions and my mom sent me my baby book and in it there was a vaccine reaction recorded for me and that wasn't something we had talked about and it was pretty serious. So I started looking more into it and looked at what options that I have in Texas and there weren't many at all. We had a very restrictive medical exemption and an even more restrictive religious exemption. Didn't make sense and when I finally went and looked at the different places where I could possibly birth my baby and asked about avoiding the hepatitis B vaccine, I was told that I was single-handedly going to stop the worldwide eradication of hepatitis B <laughs> if I didn't vaccinate. And then, you know, the light bulb really went off that I wasn't dealing with some people with a full deck of cards here. And uh, I switched to a midwife birth and started researching and volunteered some time to do some analysis for NVIC. and started looking at infant deaths and timing. I actually went while I was pregnant to the morgue in Austin and started looking at timing of unexplained SIDS deaths and seeing some accumulation around the two, four, and six month and everything shifted at that point. And I knew I needed to get involved in this issue so that parents could have information and make a choice. So your primary motivation was you as a parent wanted to have the, the, the power, really, to make a choice, a vaccine choice for your child. You didn't want the state or doctors telling you you had to give your child a certain number of vaccines and when. I absolutely wanted the choice. I didn't think that there was any doctor out there that understood my family history of our vaccine reactions, our health history, or even paid enough attention to the lack of efficacy on some of these vaccines, some of the limitations on the testing, and even the necessity of some of these vaccines. And I was spending a good amount of time looking at this and things weren't adding up for me and my family to just blindly follow every vaccine on the schedule at the times that they were telling to give them. And we didn't have those options in Texas. So I started contacting legislators right away. I didn't know what I was doing. I just went down and started talking to people. This isn't right. We've got you know to, to change something. And then in that process, one of the legislative offices, it was a health committee chair staffer who said there's another woman down here who's been talking about a vaccine tracking system. You, you two ought to talk together. And that's when I got introduced to Rebecca Rex. And it, we haven't looked back since. And we joined forces yeah. and just decided we were going to take out the opt-in, take out the forced inclusion vaccine tracking system and make it an opt-in system. It didn't make any sense to just take everybody's records and put them in a tracking system without their knowledge or consent. We're seeing today the fallout of what even an opt-out system does. Look at what's happened with these credit reporting agencies that have just taken all your information and now they've been hacked and breached and people's identities can be stolen. And nobody should be able to just take your information and put it somewhere without your consent. That's opt-out is a misnomer. It's stealing. It's stealing your information without your knowledge or consent. You have to give 
informed consent and say yes so you can make a decision knowing the risks and benefits of your information being disclosed. So we started fighting the vaccine tracking system. We got the forced inclusion system that was in a bill in Texas changed to an opt-in system and then we worked for seven years to pass the conscientious exemption in the right. state of Texas. I remember first talking to you in 1997 when you called NVIC and said that you were going to try to get this you know, a, a wider exemption for personal belief exemption, religious belief. And we talked about having it be a conscientious belief exemption because freedom of conscience is really a, a human right. And, and I, it took you, it took you from 1997 until 2003 working every single year in every single legislature. And you had the distinction of having organized the only successful campaign in this country in the last 35 years to add a conscientious belief uh, exemption or religious belief exemption to a state vaccine law. And uh, that's, a pre- that's a pretty impressive accomplishment. And it shows how hard it is and how hard it's been to really organize and be able, be able to do this. As you look back on that process, um, why do you think you succeeded in Texas when it's been so difficult in other states. I think one of the reasons why we succeeded in Texas is there was fertile ground here. You can plant the best grass seed in a concrete parking lot. It's not going to grow. People in the state of Texas have had this passion for freedom, for family, for basic human rights for decades. And we have a citizen legislature where we're only in session every two years. Mm -hmm. So legislators aren't professional legislators. They actually have some other career back at home Mm -hmm. and they come in for five months every two years. So it was this perfect storm and we were so determined to fix this because we knew it was wrong. The religious exemption here was flat out unconstitutional. The medical exemption made doctors have to certify that it was going to be a given that the vaccine would be injurious to a child. Medicine isn't that concrete. So we had these two very restrictive exemptions and we didn't fit in those categories. And there were clearly many families across the state Many of them have had children who had severe vaccine reactions. Some of these children actually descended into autism after vaccination. And this was even before a lot of the controversy around autism happened. We had families in the Senate chamber talking to legislators about this before all this stuff in the media came up. Mm. So I think that it was the combination of people in Texas having relationships with their legislators already, basic family values Mm -hmm. being pretty entrenched here, and this freedom, the spirit of freedom here, and individual rights versus state rights, and and then just a bunch of stubborn parents, moms and dads, and even children going up and testifying that just kept telling their stories over and over and over again, saying, you're going to listen to us, and they did. And they did. And to this day, we have staffers that were college students that were interns back when we started that now have their own children. And we're getting families that um, now that used to work in the Capitol years ago that now have their children going off to college, asking for help with exemptions in college. Um, 
we've made a lot of friends along the way. It's really, we made a lot of good relationships and um, these are our people and you know, we love them and I think that's why things are good here. Texas was really hit hard in the 2017 legislative session. Uh, you saw a lot of special interest groups, uh, medical trade lobbyists up there trying to convince lawmakers to eliminate the conscientious belief vaccine exemption that you and parents had worked so hard to get in Texas in 2003. What happened? Well, in 2015, there was a bill to flat out remove the conscientious exemption and people rose up and it, it wasn't going to get any traction here. We had in uh, some hearings on other bills, legislators flat out saying we're not going to force vaccines in Texas, period. Even on the House floor, you know, it was said a few times by some legislators. So I think that um, this last session, they went about it a little bit of a different way. They didn't just go for removing everything flat out. They tried to chip away from many different angles, like putting some restrictions on vaccines, like making you have to go get educated and signed off by a doctor or having to pay a fee or even playing with the words. One bizarre bill removed the word religion and conscience and replaced it with non-medical. So you're either medical or non-medical. Can we get any more black and white than medical or non-medical? That I'm sorry, but the world does not revolve around medicine. Newsflash here. So, but to the people who but want forced vaccination. Let's not talk about religion, right? Let's, let's not, not talk, talk about conscience. Let's not talk about human rights. Let's just talk about medicine. Let's just talk about medicine. Right. And yeah. And so um, I think that through the filing of all these lousy bills over the last several years, they've actually done us a favor because. I don't want to go down to the Capitol as much as we do, but when there's a bad bill to remove opt-in informed consent to the tracking system and try and force people into being tracked, I'm going to be down there talking about it. For the last 18 years, we have had to fight bills to get rid of the opt-in informed consent that we passed 20 years ago. And yeah. every session they come back, and I think I don't know if we've had 12 bills or so that have tried, I, I've lost count at this point. We have to keep coming back and saying, you can't just steal people's information and put it in there because you want it. You have to ask people. You know why they want it so bad. They want it so bad because you're the second largest state. And in order to have a national tracking system, they have to have the second biggest state for sure in there. Yeah, and, and then also knowledge is power. They can start yeah. trying. As soon as they knock you down to a geographical area, they can start targeting. They talk about these pockets and all this nonsense mm -hmm. like what they did in California yeah. that paved the way for the removal of the exemption there. These school shaming bills to try and, like, they say it's education so parents can make a choice over what school to send their children to, how many exemptions there are. That's ridiculous. The vaccine efficacy records, the, I'm sorry, the vaccine efficacy for many of the vaccines is a lower number than the percentage of people that have exemptions. So perseverating over this tiny minority in a classroom, when these kids all go home to an adult population that don't have all 69 doses of all these different vaccines, there's so many vaccines that have come on the market that we never had as kids. We're part of the herd. To sit here and question a chicken pox exemption exactly. or a hepatitis A vaccine exemption and say that having that vaccine is more important than receiving an education? 
That's what vaccine mandates say, is that this right. vaccine is more important than being educated for 18 years. Indeed. Don, in 2010, you created the NVIC Advocacy Portal. Tell us why it's so important for people to know about it and to use it. Yeah, okay. What so is the portal? The NVIC Advocacy Portal was born out of a conversation that we had on the phone when you asked me if I would take what we did in Texas and take it to the 50 states. And my mind immediately went to my piles of laundry that never got folded, my papers all over the place, my folders, and thinking, I don't have a house big enough to do 50 states. We can't possibly repeat this unless we design a system. And my background had been in computer science and electrical engineering. And I knew that with where things were going with the internet at the time, that we had to create a system that was dynamic, that content could be changed and updated, that could be live, and that people could connect to easily so they could get real-time information to contact their legislators. We just couldn't duplicate exactly what we had done here mm -hmm. the way we had done it. We had a very rudimentary website when we started Prove. It's, it goes back to the simplest, like these little blocks for icons. It was very, very simply done. Um, what we talked about that day was, okay, I'd be willing to do this, but I have to have a computer system, a website that we could track all 50 states live and that we could have our state directors help update the information, keep it up to date, and we could give people explicit instructions on what to do, our analysis of the bills, when hearing information was, so that they could use this information. They could be empowered to talk to their legislators. We couldn't do it for them. So what we do is we look at all 50 states and everything that goes on. So we have this big funnel, this big mouth, all this information coming in, and we have 50 little nozzles coming out and we spit out what we think the most important bills are for you to take action on. So you don't have to go and look and follow and do all that, but you have to communicate with your legislator. You have to use our information. We, on the portal, when you sign up, you register with your address, we display on one side your legislator's names and then you click on them, it gives you the contact information, their webmail, their Twitter, their LinkedIn, their email, their websites, everything and you can follow the action alerts and contact your legislators and give your personal stories. We give you the tools, but you need to take the action, and it is working. It is definitely working. That's incredible. I know you hold tutorials uh, for state leaders. We have almost half the states now have MVIC advocacy state leaders, uh, and you often stress it's personal. These relationships with your legislators, they've got to know who you are. Talk more about why it's so important not just to send an email or not just to sign a petition, but to really have a personal relationship with your legislator. The vast majority of legislators out there went into office because they had something that was important to them that they wanted to do for their home district. It's very different in the state level than in Washington. And our U.S. Constitution delegates the majority of power to the states. Vaccine laws are state laws primarily, and so when you have a legislator that's come from somewhere in business and society, this is not something that they necessarily have a lot of background on. And over the years, they have been getting information from mainstream medicine, from pharma, and the lobbying efforts once they're into office to give a very shaded one-side view of vaccination, it can be a little bit to overcome. 
And so just sending an email may not catch them. They're busy. Thousands of bills get filed. You have to catch, capture their attention. And that's why the personal story of why this issue is important to your family needs to start off any conversation. They need to be able to relate to you as a human being, and they need to be able to see something of themselves in you. What do you share in common? Your parents or that you both believe in property rights. Well, somebody who's an advocate for property rights, well, what more property is important than your own body and having control over it? Find something you connect on and look at the types of legislation they've sponsored and talk to them about your story, how it's important, and, and get their ear. And then you can explain to them and give them the information that we give and your own information that you pull up through the NBI website and through the portal and that's what's making a difference it's those one-on-one -on -one conversations it's not about how many emails it's quality not quantity one person can make a difference but it's through those personal connections it's easy to get caught up in the land of social media and to be watching the media itself talk about the doom and gloom and how we're losing exemptions and we need everybody needs to be vaccinated but the bottom line is our front lines of people talking to legislators are holding the line. This last session, we had 184 bills filed in 42 states. Of those, we opposed 116 of them. Of those 116 that we opposed, only seven that we deemed to be threatening or offensive in one way or another passed with the billions of dollars that pharma has and organized medicine has that they throw in multiple lobbyists in the state legislatures, your voices are making a difference, but we need more people. There's gonna be more bills and there are gonna be more efforts to try and manipulate public opinion on this by shaming parents who make these choices, by calling them selfish and misrepresenting this issue and not portraying it that these are families that love their children are trying to make the best choices for their families. We need more people to combat that. Right. We need to register for nvicadvocacy.org, get on the portal, follow the information, get off of social media for just enough time to make an appointment to go talk to your legislator. That's the, that's the important thing. In 2015, when there was a lot of publicity about the cases of measles at Disneyland, there was a lot of pressure put on the California lawmakers to eliminate the personal belief vaccine exemption, which wrapped religious and conscience beliefs into one exemption. So when they lost that in 2015, there was only the medical exemption left. What do you think the fallout was from all that publicity in 2015? Over and over again, I got emails, phone calls from people from around the country that said, not in my state. This is not going to happen in my state. What can I do? So we funneled people into being a little bit more active. And as these bills started popping up in other states by pan wannabe legislators in other states, oh, they want to take down the exemption, they organized with their neighbors, with their family, with their friends, and they went and talked to their legislators and told them the other side of the story, what's really going on here. And so the fallout, we had more legislators in other states feeling emboldened to go and try and attack things in a way we've never seen before. But on the other side, we had families that were determined to hold the line and say, this is not going to happen to my child, not in my state. And they fought. And so that escalated the conversation to a level we've never seen before, Barbara, mm -hmm. in the time that we've been active. And with the internet and with 
information being accessible in such real time, it really is the equalizer for the people to be able to have information the same speed that the lobbyists have it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll sometimes put out an alert saying, hey, this bill is on the House floor right now. They're arguing it. Call your legislator right now. Tell them to vote yes. Tell them to vote no. And it's happening right there. We're watching. We don't even necessarily have to be in the Capitol. We can watch the live stream and we can start getting information to people on what they need to do. And that's really the access of information has changed things in this tremendously. But Well, it's quite an accomplishment to for since 2015, after that huge onslaught of bills that were trying to take away exemptions, and they succeeded in California, the philosophical exemption was removed in Vermont, but they kept the religious. To not have had one state follow the lead of California, all the legislators have rejected, and all the other states have rejected the idea of eliminating the personal belief exemption, the religious or the conscience exemption. Right. Yeah. Now, Vermont lost the conscientious exemption, but they retained their religious exemption. Exactly. That's a fairly broad and encompassing religious exemption. And there have been a lot of attempts to try and remove the exemptions. We also saw a huge jump in bills. I think in 2016, we had 110 bills that we tracked that we had determined were important to our mission. And the session, we're up to 184. But what's different this session from last session is on the bills that are relating to vaccine exemptions, we had 39 that we supported and 42 that we opposed. This is the first time in history that the people have risen up and the legislators have put their foot down to try and expand exemptions in states at almost an equal rate as these legislators that are trying to take it away. Mm -hmm. I think it's really resonating with the legislators when they see this uncontrolled and frenzied, almost rabid attitude of some of these public health officials that everyone has to have every single vaccine. It's kind of, it, it, it puts a light bulb off in their head that, okay, we need to do something about this. There are legitimate reasons why families are concerned for their kids and for themselves in the workplace. And we need to be able to allow people to make these decisions. Hey, look, bottom line is you have a product that is shielded from liability from the pharmaceutical companies, the people who give the vaccines, the doctors. They can't be held accountable. You can't force something that can injure or kill people that nobody has accountability for on somebody. It, that makes no sense. We don't see that anywhere else. No, we don't. And, you know, the public health people talk about, well, everybody has to wear a seatbelt. We have laws. Well, you know what? You can research the cars and pick which ones have better safety ratings, and you can say no to some cars. And you know what? You can also decide to not put your kid in a car that has a poor safety record. With vaccines, it's one size fits all. And a lot of these very shallow arguments that, and one-liners that public health people use to try and get some traction in the media, when you peel back the layers, they just don't hold up. And that's what we do with NVIC advocacy, is we give people the analysis and the tools and the language of how to speak to legislators so they can relate to you as people and they can look at the laws, the proposed laws, and make a determination on whether or not they want to support them based on our recommendations. So we cover that for you. You don't have to do all that. But we also reference everything. We give you links. Don't take our word for it. Go and follow the links and look it up for yourself. Make your own decision. Well, I think it's very interesting that seatbelt manufacturers 
are liable in the civil court of law when those seat belts fail and people are killed or injured, but the vaccine manufacturers, they have no liability. So it really is, you are taking a risk where you have no remedy in, in very few instances because the compensation program only compensates one out of three people who apply. So it's, it's definitely a risk that when you, when, you, when, you, when you don't have a choice and you're forced to take a risk and you have no option after you get hurt, you have no way to hold anybody accountable for that. It's something people really need to take seriously. Absolutely. The Supreme Court called vaccines unavoidably unsafe. Mm -hmm. Look, the whole premise of the 1986 law, it was passed because they were arguing that the pharmaceutical companies couldn't financially withstand the onslaught of court cases from the damage that their products would do on people. How does mandating something that, that, needs, that needs that much protection even make any sense at all? It doesn't. It only makes sense for the industry. <laughs> and, and for the government officials who are saying everybody's got to do it. And the doctors who have clearly been convinced by the public health officials that they need to be the vaccine police because they're throwing children out of medical practices if they're even lacking one federally recommended vaccine. And I know you're seeing that in Texas. We're seeing it everywhere. We are. I think that uh, people are using their voice and it's working, but we need more people to use their voices. We make it so easy for people. We know everybody's busy, but this is an issue that deserves as much attention as you checking Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or anything else. It doesn't take long to log in and just check where things are at. Do you need to make a call today? Do you need to send a letter? Um, the real critical issues like the 911, we need your attention now. We'll send an email out to the people in your state letting you know what needs to go on. If you're on Facebook, follow National Vaccine Information Center. We post our alerts up there as well. There's no reason in this day and age to sit here and say, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to call my legislator today or I wasn't aware this was happening. There's no excuse for that anymore. We have that information. We have a system for getting it to you and your words from within your heart about your family and why this is important, it's making a difference. You know, that gives a lot of people a lot of hope. Every, you often say it, 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 every person can make a difference. And I think the work that you've done through the MBIC advocacy portal is proof, is absolute evidence that when people stand up and participate in the democratic process in this country, we can protect ourselves from bad laws. So when you look to the future, you're really hopeful. You do believe that parents and families and healthcare professionals in this country are going to stand up and defend vaccine freedom of choice. Oh, I see a very hopeful future. I look at how many of us there are, how many families that love their children and are just trying to make good decisions that are desperate for unbiased information that lays out everything. And we provide information for people that they can go to their legislators and feel confident that this information can't be torn down. We have references. We give credible information to people to support our positions on these bills. And it doesn't take a lot of people to educate at the state level, the staffers and the legislators. And it's kind of 
you know, I don't know if you've ever looked at those books before, the Magic Eye books, where you look at a picture and you just shift your vision and just look beyond the page just a little bit. So your focal point isn't on the page. It's not on the vaccine rates. It's not on this. But you're shifting to just out ahead a little bit. And all of a sudden, a whole new image pops up. That's what we do. We teach people how to look at this issue, the whole picture, for humanity, for our future, for our society, for our kids' futures. And we ask them to just take their focus Health is not a vaccination rate. Gaze their focus out a little bit, and then the rest of it falls into place. And once we're able to teach a legislator how to look at what a healthy society really is, and it's not all of us going on the same path. It's different paths for different people with different modalities with health. And once they do that, it's really hard for them to go back. They might try, but they can't unhear what we've had to say. So, yeah. Well said and well done, Don Richardson. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so one of the tools that we have at MVIC that you can take to your state legislator is this Guide to Reforming Vaccine Policy and Law. We've updated it in 2017, and it's full of accurate information. You can get hyperlinks uh, to that information on MVIC.org. It's a great resource when you're trying to educate your legislator about why it's so important to, to defend flexible medical, religious, and conscientious belief vaccine exemptions in state laws.